Hey, guys. Huh. Check this out. Check This Out, a podcast where we take an analytical view of media that appeals to us as individuals and why. I am Al, your host, and with me today is special guest and enemy of the show, Craig. Uh, Hi, Al. If you would, please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about yourself. Hi, Al. Uh, long-time listener, first-time enemy. Um, <laughs> I um, uh, am a teacher um and i uh increasingly my full-time gig and also majority of my hobby time is uh is spent in role-playing games uh i uh i, I have the absolute privilege and honor of uh of running an after-school program and a summer camp program where i run middle schoolers and high schoolers through a bunch of different games uh mostly D, just because it's tends to be the most popular among kids coming in, but uh, yeah, it, it is a, a literal a dream name job. recognition and all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, it's sort of the you know the the gateway game, and I can hopefully mm. get them in through the door with that. And then uh, I ran a camp for kids that I called a GM Academy, a Game Master Academy, and uh, over the course of that, a bunch of kids who had only played Fifth Edition D anD D came out of the other end running games and things like. Glitter Hearts and Savage Worlds and uh, all sorts of different things. So that was a lot the, of fun. The shady guy in the trench coat. It's like, hey, kids, the first one's free. Exactly, just exactly. And just the, the DM guides, just whining pockets. Right, right, exactly so. You bring him in on one, then you get him hooked on everything else. <laughs> That's the goal. I know this is already a little bit off topic, but I've like I logically I know the the organization of American schools, but it's just like it's so bizarre to me the way that there's like three or four different versions. Oh my goodness! Yes, in terms of lower school or and and then we also call them different things too, depending on where mm. you are and even depending on the school within the district. So you'll have lower schools, which are also elementary schools, and you have middle schools or junior high. Uh, high school is at least pretty much the same across the board in the US, but that's also um but is that secondary school where you are? Uh no, still high school or I mean oh, high school, I okay. guess de- depending on region as well, but it's the same thing. And then yeah, yeah. primary school, which is uh, kindergarten to year six. Okay. And then yeah. year seven to 12 is high school or secondary. That's I, my, uh, my wife grew up in Zimbabwe. And so uh, I know she always calls it secondary. Mm-hmm. Or just the, the two of them. But even over here, middle school or junior high isn't always exactly the same. Sometimes you get fourth through eighth. Sometimes it's fifth through eighth. It, it can be all over the place. Damn Yanks, yeah. just get it sorted. <laughs> uh, so yeah, tangents are not only allowed, they're recommended. Oh yeah, should we start saying uh, Scream 2 again this episode? So, Scream 2. <laughs> 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 uh, we have fun here. Uh, 
Now, you're bringing t- something to the table that you enjoy and are passionate about. Uh, could you talk a little bit about it in your own words? Absolutely. I am coming on to talk about the film from 2007, Hot Fuzz. Uh, it was directed by Edgar Wright. It was written by Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg, who also stars in the role of Nicholas Angel. It is a comedy slash action film slash style pastiche slash parody. It's it's tough to pin down intentionally. Hmm. Yeah, I'd like... I've, full disclosure, this is a topic I have experience with as well. Uh, but yeah, I can definitely see where that little bit of confusion comes in. It's like, which is it? Like, which takes top billing in the genre listing? Since you're familiar with it, how would you, if you had to slot it into a genre, how would you categorize it? Uh, I would go action comedy. That's fair. Because it's like, it, se- it seems more action-y than uh, other films, but it is still that comedic bent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I wouldn't call what? it purely an action or purely a comedy, but I'd definitely give action top billing. And and we'll talk more about that, and I think this may be an episode where uh, we can at least uh, give a warning before we dive into significant spoilers. But there is certainly a point in the film where it kind of dives off the deep end into the action portion of things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. So I have my prepared list of questions that's designed to delve a bit deeper into that enjoyment of yours, if that's all right. By all means. So question one, the one that everyone hates, apparently. <laughs> imagine i was someone who's recently been, been awoken from a coma resurrected from being frozen in ice or even an inanimate object gifted knowledge of modern times and sentience so essentially i know what media is but i have never personally experienced any how would you explain hot fuzz without comparing it to something that i wouldn't know i have been thinking about this particular question a lot in getting ready to speak with you today because it poses some very specific problems with regard to Hot Fuzz, uh, given that Hot Fuzz was written in a lot of ways as a response to the action films that were so predominant in the uh, 80s and, and 90s and early aughts. Um, films that I think, by and large, we have left behind as we've gone into really wild high octane stuff like the fast and the furious films and the mission Uh impossible, you know? Yeah. That's a whole thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So this, it's an interesting relic at this point um, where at the time it was still fairly recent in, in, in in terms of its release to the predominance of that type of film. Um, But another thing that makes it difficult to, to explain, and I will try to do that, but um I, I, I do love my preambles, so if you will bear with me. Um, it, it was written by Wright and Peg, to the best of my understanding, uh, actually as a, a as a very specific response to um, what, what we would generally now call tropes in those types of films. Um, Roger Ebert wrote a, a, a great little book. I think it's still available. I remember reading through it. Uh, as a younger person, uh, it was Roger Ebert's little book of Hollywood cliches. Again, these days it would probably be his book of Hollywood tropes, but it was just things that as a film critic, 
he saw over and over and over and over and over and over again. And the the story, as I understand it, is that Wright and Peg said, wouldn't it be funny if we wrote a film and tried to do as many of those as possible? Hmm. Um, and they also, in, in many cases, they try to subvert them. Um, but they do cram in as many of them as possible. I mean, the, the little book of Hollywood cliches contains stuff like anytime a main character steps up to a microphone in order to show their discomfort, the microphone will squeal with feedback, despite the fact that that almost never happens in real life. Um, that happens literally every time the main character of this film, Nicholas Angel steps up to a microphone, (laughs) there is a squeal of feedback. Um, uh, another is in a, in a film and this is, at least in the first part of it, a little bit of a mystery. Um, but one of the cliches from the book is um, it, in a in a what I guess now is commonly called a cozy mystery of this type that we've seen Rian Johnson do with the uh, uh, glass onion and uh, knives out and so on. But uh, it, in the event, and he it subverted the trope in the same way in those films too. But When you see a cast of suspects, the most well-known actor is almost always the person who did it. And so you have those movies that are just packed with all super well-known actors. And the same thing here, a a lot of them are more perhaps familiar to um, those who are familiar with stage and and, and British cinema. But I mean, you have just in terms of the the crew that is in this town where where the main character goes, you have uh, Billy Whitelaw, you have Peter White. Paul Freeman, Stuart Wilson, um, uh, uh, Timothy Dalton, Jim Broadbent. You know, it, it's packed with recognizable faces, specifically to jam that trope back in the face of the viewer. But setting aside the intention of this movie to evoke those other films and to specifically bring up tropes and, and in a lot of cases subvert them in comedic ways, if I were watching a film without any any reference to prior films i still think hot fuzz can be enjoyed on its own merits because it is a film that has very very clever writing and directing and cinematography um this would be a rough film to watch if it was your first film not because i think you would have any kind of onboarding issues with with getting up to speed with it but because it would make it tough to watch other films after this if this was your introduction to what a film could be. And, and the reason for that, and I think a large part of my pitch for Hot Fuzz is it has to be a film to exist the, the way that it does. And to explain that, I'll say one of the things I love about different types of media is experiencing something in that particular medium that could really only exist or at least exist to its best potential in that medium. Um, you know, we were talking, uh, saying professionally and my hobby and, you know, 90% of my waking hours are spent on, on, on role-playing games. But, but that's one of the things I love about them. And one of the things that's so fun to see, um, you know, a new generation of people discover about them is it is a storytelling medium that is really, really unique. It's something that you can't get in a board game or in a, video game. It's something that you all collaboratively tell the story and it evolves in its own time. And, uh, and, and that's really unique, you know, some, uh, a video game, something like, you know, classic like portal 
it, that's really something that could only be a video game where you have mm. this, you know, f- you know, playing with physics and playing with points of view and all and playing with momentum and making holes in reality that 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 has to be a video game. Sure, you you can write a book about it. You could write a comic book. I think there are comic books about Portal, but but they're not they're they're not the core of what the experience it is. And then books, there's stuff like um Daniel Levski's ha- uh, House of Leaves where it, it it's it's a almost a combination of different scraps of writing and newspapers and things that are that are you know you, you almost have to experience it as a physical book in your hands and, and coming to hot fuzz and to to a lesser extent almost everything that uh edgar wright does but i think hot fuzz does it to to the nth degree it exists on its own because it is a comedy that uses every aspect of film to try to make you laugh and I am not a big fan of comedy films in general, or at least sort of what mainstream comedy films are, just because for the most part, you know, the delivery of the actors tends to sell a joke, but a lot of it is dialogue driven. And it could be, for the most part, a lot of it could just be an audio play that I could be listening to and it would still be relatively funny. But yeah. uh, Wright and his cinematography crew and, 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 and the script, they, they use everything. There are certainly jokes in the dialogue, but there are also jokes, uh, in, in the music there's, you know, there will be needle drops of, of music that are actually happening, um, in, in the, in the, in the film universe itself, diegetic, I think is the term for that. Um, where, you know, there's a scene where Timothy Dalton, spikes the camera. I think it, that was actually accidental where he turns and looks directly at the camera and they add a sound of, uh, it's in a bar and they add a sound of a, um, you know, a, a, I don't know, a bingo machine or a slots machine, something in the background that happens at that moment as he spikes the camera. Um, there are jokes about how people leave the frame and enter the frame. Probably my all time favorite comedic shot in cinema is, is a shot where, Patty Considine sort of leaves frame and then he leans back in really quickly for just a second and then leaves again. And it, it, Mm. it makes me laugh every single time I see it. So I, I, if, if I were explaining this to somebody who was unfamiliar with media and everything else, even without that background of saying, Hey, this is a parody and a pastiche that builds upon everything else. I would say, if you want to see how to make people laugh with a movie, if you want to learn what a movie is and how it can make you laugh, watch this movie. Cool. Uh, there were a couple of points that I wanted to circle back to. Um, so you mentioned like it's always the the biggest name actor that is like the the culprit. Uh, it reminds me of a lot of like anime or manga series where it's like, oh, the main character is ostentatiously drawn or, you know, mm-hmm. um, the super spiky hair and everyone else is boring or has no face. Right. So it's like, oh, well, we can see where our main character is. Exactly. It, it reminds me of that type of thing. And then just a- appreciation for the word trope. Because, uh, like, as you said, a cliche would now be more referred to as a trope because, the like, cliches have that sort of negative association. Mm-hmm. 
Whereas trope is just like, oh, these are common elements. End of analysis. Like it is neither good nor bad. They are just repeating occurrences. Exactly. And, 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 and you look at it in terms of less of a complaining about something being cliche and more in terms of finding common elements in storytelling that is unique to us as a culture, as a species, however far out you want to take it. And it takes it from less of Roger Ebert's complaints about, oh, look at all these cliches and makes it more akin to, you know, the hero of a thousand faces, Joseph Campbell saying, oh, here's what, here are all these things that we have as common touchstones, no matter where you are. Um, and things yeah. that can sort of drive us along. The, um, the cultural melting pot of uh, elements and ideas. I, I think it's a uh, Jungian, um, if psychology, like psychiatry sort of phrase, or it's just the collective unconscious. Sure. Where it's like, if you get told to picture a bank robber, you know, just off the top of your head, uh, typically domino mask, striped shirt, big, uh, big sack with a dollar sign on it. <laughs> yeah. Usually I, I... like that one style of hat. Yeah, I'm I'm very much a child of the late '70s, early '80s. So when you tell me to picture a, a, a bank robber, I still picture the Beagle Boys from Ducktales. Yeah, exactly. Because they're, but it's exactly that, that little domino mask, big sack with a dollar sign on it. Yeah, because they're building on that sort of common idea, which is I think like elements of it are um, when like New York was getting built up. It's just like. Uh, part of the Irish immigration and like the fishing community, basically. Right. It's like, obviously it started off as a bit negative, but that's just now in the common conscious, in consciousness. Or if you get told to uh, look, I mean, obviously this is not the correct term, but uh, a gypsy. So a, a traveler, a Romani, like that type sure. of thing you instantly have that sort of, you can picture it. It's typically an older woman and uh, either with a bandana on or like the colored dresses and things mm -hmm. because that's what media has built and sort of fed back into that sort of collective image. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, question two. Hypothetically, our positions are reversed, and I'm guesting on your immensely popular and award-winning podcast. Uh, I've just answered the previous question with your response verbatim. So what stood out to you the most? I would like to think that it's that uh, those, those elements of, um, of uniqueness to the, to the method of delivery of comedy that really rely on the medium itself to, to convey it. Um, I think the other thing candidly that would stand out is the absolute vagueness with which I approached the subject matter. Um, <laughs> so, uh, it were, were our positions reversed. I might ask you to, okay, that's fine, but why don't you actually tell us what this film is about? So my bad Just answer the damn question. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, but hot fuzz with regard to that hot fuzz is about a, a super cop about a, a London police officer who is so good at his job that he gets air quotes promoted out of the town. 
his superiors. And again, the cast in this film is just bonkers, but it's it's Martin Freeman, Bill Nye, um, come down and and uh and sit down with him and and basically tell him he's I think Bill Nye literally says, You're letting the side down by showing everyone up. And and he's again just perfect at his job to the point that everybody in the department hates him. So they are promoting him to Sergeant and they move him out to this little tiny town called Sanford uh, shot in, I believe the town of Wells in uh, uh, South, uh, South country uh, in the UK. Um, and it is, it's one uh, uh, most scenic town, multiple, uh, multiple years in a row and so he goes from being on, you know, a high stakes armed strike forces and, uh, you know, and everything to going out to this tiny little provincial town where at first there doesn't seem to be anything going on at all. And uh, he is not particularly happy about it. But as the film goes on, you realize he wasn't probably particularly happy uh, about his about his life back in London. He just was very good at his job and doing it to the exclusion of pretty much all else. And again, one of those tropes, he goes out to this town, but you know, it's, it's him that learns the lesson uh, to on how to live. But it also turns out there is something going on in this small town that does legitimately need a, a, a cop. There are, um, I, uh, I guess, early spoiler here. We're not getting into super early, uh, super huge spoiler territory because this comes fairly early. There is a straight up slasher serial killer, uh, 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 apparently in the town that is, is killing people, but nobody believes him when he starts investigating it because it's such a perfect little town and everybody thinks, oh, it's just this big cop from London who must be out here missing how things used to be. And uh, the the prior sergeant supposedly uh, came from a big town, and um, as as Jim Broadbent describes, the only difference between him and Nick Angel, Simon Pegg's character, is that uh, the the uh, sergeant Popwell, the, the 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 prior sergeant, had a great big bushy beard. But uh, <laughs> other than that, apparently, it was the small town life was too much for Sergeant Popwell, and um, he couldn't handle it. So now Nick Angel seems to be going down the the same road, but. Uh, we, as the viewers, can see, unless the filmmakers are just flat out lying to us, that there is something going on and just nobody believes Nicholas Angel, except for um, uh, uh, Nick Frost's character, um, um, uh, Danny Butterman, who is the um, the son of the local police inspector. And uh, the the two of them hit it off and have kind of a mentor mentee relationship. And also if you've seen anything with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, you know that the two of them are just a delight to watch together. They, they have such yeah. great chemistry on screen, uh, but so that's, that would have that's been always a, a lot of fun. Fascinating movie decision, like movie making decision to set up things and just have nothing happen. <laughs> you're, it's like, you're absolutely right. It, it, it would be, it would be wild. And I think there, there, there is a potential, interpretation of this film if you're if you're going to go off and and make hay of absolutely nothing that the movie gives you uh, any any cause to believe is the case but i think there's a fascinating interpretation that uh nicholas angel does absolutely uh just lose all grasp of reality and everything in the latter half of the film is entirely imagined 
because, because it's like you know obviously there wouldn't be a movie if there wasn't something going to happen like there right. wouldn't be a story right right what a well I, I mean there might just, be it just yeah it it, just, it wouldn't be this film for sure yeah it's just like balls out going to like confess in church i am making no movie right exactly <laughs> exactly sort of a a slice of life a- action comedy could be an interesting approach. I, I, I don't necessarily know how you'd pull it off, but. Uh, so question three, we can tell that this is a subject that you care about, but what got you to give it a chance in the first place? Uh, I had seen, this is back. I, I didn't see it in theaters, unfortunately. One of those things that I, I, I wish I had been able to have seen in theaters, but I had seen um, uh, Pagan Wright's uh, not their first work together, but the first uh, film of theirs that made a big splash in the U.S., which was Shaun of the Dead, which is to zombie films what Hot Fuzz is to uh, action cop action films. Um, and I had liked it. Uh, I, I I thought it was fun. I think I'd seen it once at that point. Um, and so this came out and I figured, eh, uh, it, I, I liked that last one that they did. I liked the, the actors that were in it. Let me, let me uh, check this out. And I watched it and uh, I think I watched it on uh, a, a physical DVD that I rented from a, from a video rental store to give you a sense in, in time and space. Um, All those were the days. Right. Um, and actually I didn't care for it all that much uh, the first time that I saw it. I was kind of, uh, all right. There is a, um, as I've danced around a little bit, there is a turn that the film takes, um, uh, ramping up to the aforementioned heavy action sequence. And I, I, I didn't really care for it all that much. I sort of, I, I felt like the film had pulled a bait and switch on me and I'd been going in for one thing and got something else. Um, because I didn't know I, I, as much as possible, I try to go into films uh, knowing very little about them, which um, sometimes works out well, sometimes doesn't work out well. But uh, I, I find in general, I, I I have been pleasantly surprised by not knowing things far more often than I've been disappointed or upset by seeing something that I didn't know what I was getting into. So it's a it's it's a risk that I tend to take. But, I, you know, I, I didn't think it was a bad movie. I just thought, oh, that was there was some funny stuff in there. And. A little while later, um, I, uh, I had a friend who was saying, hey, have you seen this movie? And I said, yeah, yeah, it's all right. And he said, well, I, I was going to check it out. Do you want to watch it with me? And so we watched it again. And it was actually on my second viewing of Hot Fuzz that I realized how dense this movie is in terms of its comedy and its jokes. Because there are dozens of jokes in the movie. And again, some in dialogue, some in uh, the composition of shots, some in the music choices, things like that. But there are dozens of jokes that don't even play as jokes until you've seen the entire movie for the first time. And it was that second viewing that really blew me away and made me think, wow, this movie is really something else. And the people involved really know what they're doing. Um, And I think I probably watched it again that night. I think 
my friend and I watched Hot Fuzz twice in the same evening because after my my first time, he kind of had the same response that I did. It was like, oh, that was okay. And I was like, no, wait, wait hold on. You got to watch this thing twice. And I immediately turned into that insufferable person who talks about uh, some piece of, of, of entertainment and says, well, you can't really enjoy it until you've seen it at least twice. But that's that's me in this movie. And I would say that to to anybody. And I'm I'm. I hate to feel like I'm giving folks homework because I do that enough in my day job, but um, it, it, it is a movie that that rewards the time that you put into it. Um, and I have seen this movie. I, I, I have lost track and we can talk about this more. Uh, we have a, a later question tuned to this. So I'll hold off on that until then. But I've seen this movie a lot. And there are still things that that I'm noticing and that catch me off off guard each time and make me laugh. Uh, and and it is just, it is a real delight. So uh, that is an extremely long winded answer to your question of what what made like what made me like this was actually watching it a second time. Yeah, so that it's always fascinating to me because I cannot do that. Like my brain will not let me re engage with something without a significant time in between. Because it's like, no, you you will remember everything and that decreases your enjoyment of it. Enjoy that. So, yeah, it, it's always super interesting to talk to someone who can just like, yep, no, I'm running it back. I'm going to get more out of it. If not, like, if not the same, I'm getting more out of it the second or third or fifth time in a row. Well, you, if, you know if I, I may turn the question. Like, yeah, if I'm if I may turn the question back on you, actually, um, uh, you, I, I know you mentioned you're familiar with with the film. Have you seen it more than once? Uh yeah, I have seen it a total of thrice. Okay, okay. Um, because I, I am often that same way. I, I don't tend to enjoy things as much if I've already seen them. Um, I have a kid uh, who is uh, just turned fourteen, uh, but they are still at that point where they retain that childlike ability to, uh, you know, to, to get enjoyment out of something. And I think comfort out of something, watching it over and over. And it, I love my kid, but it candidly drives me crazy when they want to watch, you know, uh, the owl house again or Steven universe again. And I'm always thinking, Oh my gosh, we've seen this so many times. Why, are, why can't we watch something new? I don't say that out loud because I try to be a good dad, but, um, but but I, I feel like this this film and the way that it's written is is unique in that it is actually very specifically designed to engage with you differently on a repeat viewing. It's not necessarily that uh, just that thing of, oh, you'll notice new things. It's it's um, I, I'm sure it's not completely unique in this regard, but it's at least unique in my experience that I, I can't really think of other things that are designed uh, so that they are, you know, again, to use the example of the jokes, they are literally only a joke if you've if you've already seen it. Um, I, I will use a, an, an example from early on. And if you have not seen the film and if you are uh, considering seeing it, um, hit that button on your uh, podcatcher to skip ahead 30 seconds. But uh, there's that scene where Angel arrives at the hotel and he's speaking to, I think it's Billy Whitelaw, but the um, the owner of the hotel and helping her with the crossword puzzle. And she says, fascist. And he responds, um, what? And she says, oh, you know, it's six down or whatever in the crossword. And uh, he looks down and she says, oh, it's fascism. And she goes, oh, 
fascism wonderful which of course is the whole deal in the town right they're all a fascist government and then there's also that time at the end where they shout that at each other um she calls him a fascist he calls her a hag which is the um crossword exchange there but that stuff doesn't even read if you haven't seen the film already through and you know what the quote-unquote twist is yeah, which is, maybe that's also a, a little something interesting because it's like, well, wouldn't you notice that as a callback on your first viewing and then retroactively well, the, get that enjoyment? I, I mean, the second part, absolutely. The when, when, they, when they shout the words at each other at the end, yes, that's absolutely a callback. But uh, I guess you would call it a call forward when, you know, when she says, oh, fascism wonderful where it just it's it's a weird little line unless you know everything that's going on and there's not a you know that particular delivery only exists at a part in the movie where the viewer has no way of knowing why that would be funny Mm. i i think it's maybe just the way my brain is wired uh differently and often wrong well, I, I, I don't think I don't think anybody's I, well, first off, I think everybody's brain is wired differently and I don't think anybody's brain is wired wrong. Um, so I, I, I think we all you interact with entertainment and different forms of media in our own ways and everything is meaningful or not uh, to each of us in its own way. So I don't think there's anything wrong about that. Uh, and and I think that's an extremely valid point where if if. Uh, any of your listeners like you are um, really dislike engaging with something more than once. As much as I feel like it's my job to try to get people to try to check out this film, I will still say, go watch Hot Fuzz. I think it's a fun movie on its own, its first time, but I don't think it really shines uh, except uh, 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 on repeat viewings. So uh, you know, maybe not as strong of a rep, uh, of a recommendation for uh, for anyone who just doesn't enjoy media that way. And I, I think that's perfectly fine. I would still say, you know, what it says on the on the tin. Check this out. But hey, maybe you're not going to enjoy it as much as you would enjoy, uh, you know, some of the other things that that have been recommended on here. He said the thing. <laughs> he said the name of the movie. They they like it when you point at the sign. <laughs> uh, but no, I actually not when you tap it though. Oh no, that all that that's bad. Um, but I I do remember something I wanted to bring up earlier um, when you were talking about how his uh, officer Angel is too good at his job, and it's like as as someone with ASD, it's just like why wouldn't you do that? That is just because that is the right thing to do, right. And it's like well, you are it, getting you are getting punished for doing the right thing because everyone else is doing the wrong thing. You know what I mean? That's the the way my head goes. Well, sure. I I think it's I think it's more more of an issue of uh you know any any time that you do something to the exclusion of other things, not because that's the metric that other people are setting on you, but to to your own internal detriment and that's something that resonates with me um uh, i i used to really struggle with setting a, a you know a work-life balance um and if it had been something where i got genuine joy out of out of working as much as i did um then i don't think that would be a problem no matter what anybody else said 
And and I think if the character Nicholas Angel genuinely loved what what he was doing, um, and, and and got nothing but pure satisfaction out of that, um, then it doesn't matter what anybody else says. And you're right. Part of this whole film, part of the message that they're conveying is don't mindlessly conform to everything else. You know, winning village of the year is not the most important thing in the world. Uh, despite what some people are willing to do to, to accomplish that. Um, but what, what at least this film is trying to say is that, you need to find things that do bring you joy um, and and uh, don't feel judged for doing what brings you joy. Um, in fact, fight back vociferously against other people judging you and telling you how you should and shouldn't live your life. But make sure that if you are if you are doing something, make sure that you're doing it because it 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 is the the right thing to do for you. Yeah. Just like at work, I get criticized for not doing basically everything to the best of my abilities because to quote my actual boss, no one else is going to have a chance at this. They all have other things to do. We, we don't have any hope for them. That is horrible. And your boss is an asshole. Yeah, it's come up a few times. Sorry, go ahead. No, after you. Uh, I, I was just going to say there, there's there's an interesting element of, of that along that same line um, because I do love this film so much. Um, you know, I've, I've listened to commentaries and read articles and, and so forth about it. And one of the things that I find really interesting as well as a um, kind of criticism of, of those same tropes that we talked about earlier and how, how much media pushes things towards a, uh, towards a oneness and a sameness is that early on and actually for a significant way of the, of, of, of the process through its, its writing cycle, hot fuzz had a, a romance. There was a character, uh, sort of a heteronormative uh, romance where there was a, a, a woman in the town that uh, Nicholas Angel was going to fall in love with. And, and they ultimately decided this is in every single cop movie ever, but we really don't need it in this film. And they, they mostly scrapped it, but they kept most of the dialogue from the quote unquote romance subplot and just put it in as dialogue between Nick Angel and Danny Butterman. Uh, as 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 part of their uh, you know their friendship and their relationship, and I I, I think that, <laughs> I think that's such a wonderful condemnation of how badly tacked on so many of these action film romances are, and uh, something I would I I would like to see a, a, a lot more, uh, just sort of normalizing really deep. Uh, profound and meaningful relationships between characters that aren't romantically interested in each other. More friendships in film. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think there's a, there, there was a pitfall for it to be played in a homophobic way. Um, and, and it's not, it's just, they just straight up put some of the romance dialogue in. I think there's one, there's one moment of sort of confusion. It's not fear. It's not, uh, you know, homophobia. There's one little flicker of confusion 
uh, between the characters of, wait, where's this, where's this conversation going? But it's not portrayed in that really shitty, you know, uh, by and large, like American 90s and aughts and in some cases continuing on and on through today comedy mm. way of, uh, you know, oh, no, somebody is expressing interest in, in somebody who, you know, it's just it's it. But it's not done that way. It's just uh, like I said it earlier, it, to see Simon Pegg and, and Nick Frost bounce off of each other is is, is, is always really a delight. Yeah, so I'm just reminded of what it was like growing up in like the 80s and all. It's like gay is bad, lesbian is hot and only in film, and trans people only live in Thailand. And it's like, no, yeah. come on. Yeah. 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 Um I uh, yeah. I I asked them before um before they left and before I came on if it was okay. If I mentioned if it came up, uh my kid is at a um uh LGBTQ leadership camp right now. Uh, and I, I think it's fantastic that that kind of stuff has shifted so that that's actually available, uh, you know, a, an option now. Cause I know when I was a kid, it was unthinkable, not mm-hmm. because it was, it was so, so negative. And then, I mean, it, it, it often was, but, uh, because it just, it wasn't even a thing that anybody would even consider that there was even a, a you know, a market for it. Yeah. And so there's there obviously, is, obviously people have existed through the course of history and the nature of human time, but yeah. it's like just having to hold all that back. It's like, eh, I'm very happy yeah. for the kids of today having such an open environment, but I also hate them so much that I never got that. <laughs> yeah. One, 100%. You know, I mean, and that's been different, obviously through the course of human history, there have been cultures and times where it's been more accepted, but you know, at least in, I, I, I can't speak to other countries, but I can say at least as far as, um, uh, you know, the East Coast of America in the 80s and 90s, uh, it was not great. <laughs> it was not a great environment. Um, you know, there was that the sort of casual use of gay as a synonym for bad or lame, uh, you know, just really, really awful. And uh, it's, you know, every time I... This is an entirely separate discussion, but every, every time I, I, I start to think, well, hey, we're getting some progress, then I read the news. Then I get sad again yep. about all sorts of other things. So, so maybe we be, should get back to a... Um, well, I'll just, you know I'll what, just I, go on the record. Uh, check this out. is a proudly pro-LGBTQ plus uh, representative and fan of trans rights and all that good stuff. Absolutely. Um and, and, you know, and as we, we often say uh, uh, at the beginning of, of shows on final show films, uh, uh, on, on which you and I both appear on fairly regular bases, um, uh, uh, trans rights are human rights, uh, uh, fuck the police, all cops are bastards. And I bring that up specifically because that's something else I wanted to talk about with regard to this movie, um, which is a lot of the films that this is based on are pretty blatant copaganda and mm. i think it's something that at least should be addressed it, it it's it's a it's a film that i love um it it does i think do quite a bit to to go uh, by the end to say that you know uh, with the exception of of nicholas angel uh uh who uh, uh sort of almost 
at least professionally, tries to do everything the right way. And there's a lot that can be said about that in terms of, you know, you look at the way that he resolves issues, which is almost always not non-violently, but at least non-lethally. But, you know, the, the cops are, are portrayed as sort of clueless at best and, and villains at worst. But it's still, it, 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 it is still a relic of its time in that it is, it, it, it does glorify some aspects of, of, of law enforcement, specifically of police. Um, so I just, I, 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 didn't want to, when we're talking about social issues, I don't at least want to let that part go unsaid. Uh, that, Absolutely, you know, you yeah. g- go into it and be aware of, despite the fact that it does have certainly police and villains, it, it does have an element of aggrandizement uh, in some ways of, of the police force. I, I think the, the opening, the opening shot where the studio logos are playing, it goes through, I think sequentially it has every single police siren that the uh, British police force has ever used, like the sounds it's used go by in sequence one after the other, <laughs> right off the bat. Um, so so I, I would you be know, surprised if that wasn't chronological as well. I, I'm I'm pretty sure it is. That's that's very much the type of uh, type of director that Edgar Wright seems to be with that that sort of uh, almost horrifying <laughs> attention to detail. It's just uh, insert the that picture of Garfield. You are not immune to propaganda, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, uh, so just... qu- question four: For some people, a sense of community and like-mindedness are integral to their enjoyment of something. To your knowledge, is there a community around Hot Fuzz that you're aware of? And if so, what are they like? Uh, I am not aware of a specific uh, fan community around the film. I know that um, by and large, a lot of, um, you know, media critics, especially cinema critics are, are big fans of it. Um, I am by and large, not, uh, not a person who, who really seeks out um, sub sub genres and, and, and existing um uh, fan groups. I am the, that again, that insufferable person who instead tries to, uh, it, part of my love language to my, to my family and friends is to take something that I care about and try to make them like it as much as I do, which generally, uh, you know, backfires. It's not a great way to have, uh, to be introduced to media, but, um, I, I, I like to chat to people I already like about things that I like, as opposed to, finding people who like the same things that I do and, and, and engaging with them that way. Um, yeah. because I'm, uh, that's, that's one of, one of my little weirdsies. Uh, uh, but, um, I, it, it is, it is something, um, as I said, there are, um, cinema critics and so on that, that, that will discuss it. There's a, uh, Mike Newman, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen any of his things on, on film joy. Uh, he does movies with Mikey, um, mm-hmm. he's had some really lovely videos about, uh, the works of Edgar Wright, including one about hot fuzz where he, uh, he discusses it with, with just a, an incredible amount of enthusiasm and, and grace and, uh, and intelligence. So I yeah. enjoy watching those things and, and, uh, and reading articles about it. I, um, I, I have looked over the years and I unfortunately don't think, uh, it, it ever happened, but given how much of it seems to have been written specifically for Roger Ebert. Uh, he doesn't seem to have reviewed the film. Um, I, I would assume he probably saw it at some point, but I've never managed to, to to find anything about his his reaction to it. I would have enjoyed that very much just to see what he thought. 
given mm. that his own writing was so uh, so much to either thank or blame, depending on your opinion of the film for its creation. Yeah. Uh, question five: There are many aspects of media that resonate differently with different people. What was your favorite part? I um, very specifically. Uh, it is it is the the shot that I referenced uh, earlier, which is I, I I have I have thought about this for a while, and I legitimately can't think of, of of a shot in in any film of any genre that I like as much as that scene of uh, Patty Considine leaving the frame, leaning back in, and then leaving it again. It's something there are gifts of it everywhere, um, and the, and the, the uh, it makes me laugh every time I see it. It's just it it, it is. The acting is perfect. The framing is perfect. The timing is perfect. Um, the little background details of it are just glorious. Um, uh, he plays um, uh, uh, Petty Considine. The the, um, uh, uh, the actor plays a character named uh, Andy uh, Andy Wainwright. Uh, I believe there are two characters, two detectives in the in the Sanford Police Office that they call the Andes. Uh, because they are both named Andrew. Um, there's uh, Andy Cartwright and Andy Wainwright. And so Patty Considine plays uh, Andy Wainwright, and he leaves frame after uh, saying something snarky to Nichols Angel, and it's shot from uh, sort of a Dutch angle where it's over uh, Nick Angel's shoulder. And so you see him leave frame, lean back in, kind of stare at him again, and then leave once more. And then behind him is Rafe Spall, who plays Andy Cartwright. And uh, it, like I said, just every aspect of this shot is glorious. Um, because if you watch Rafe's fall in the background, um, he, he starts, starts to corpse. He starts to break and laughed like just the fraction of a second before he gets out of frame behind Patty Considine's head. Uh, and it just, it, every single element of it brings me so much joy uh, whenever I see that shot. Even even on the level, um, apparently nobody knew this, but apparently Rafe Spall was a huge fan of Patty Considine, and then he learned he was going to get to work with him in almost all of his scenes on this movie. So there's just again just an extra level of, of fun and glee. Uh, I always like it on a film when people seem to enjoy what they're doing and working together, and that certainly seems to have been the case on this film. You know, there, there's always a chance, unfortunately, that we we, we find out uh, that things are not what they appear, but most people involved in this film seem like they're pretty decent folks, which always makes it easier to enjoy media in that way. Uh, on a less specific basis, I, my favorite thing about the film is uh, that multi-layered aspect where it is something that invites uh, repeat watching, at least for someone with my particular uh, brain wiring. So not a, not a universal appeal, certainly, but uh, something that I, I really love about it. Uh, it, it is, it is something that I, uh, it's a comfort for me. It's something that it uh, will always, always make me laugh, um, regardless of how many times I've seen it. And, and I, I really can't think of that many, many things that once you've seen them once still have that ability to, uh, to make you laugh out loud. So uh, that is, that is my favorite thing about it. So is this like, uh, um, at home sick with the flu kind of rewatch for you, or is that sort of not in the, the right headspace for it? Would you say? Um, no, I mean very much that. Yeah. I'll put it on. If I've, if I've had a rough day, I candidly, I'll put it on. If I've, if I've had a good day, um, I do, since I run 
tabletop games professionally, I, I spend a lot of time painting miniatures and terrain and things like that. And so having a, uh, you know, something with which I'm fairly familiar and can enjoy without giving it 100% of my focus, uh, is a real benefit. So it tends to be something that I'll, you know, toss on in the background while I'm, uh, you know, making a bunch of tiny people look green or painting up a, you know, foot tall castle or something like that. Mm. Which, which again, is that sort of like, that is interesting to me because I can't have like a background thing. It's like, that will draw my focus. So I can't split attention like that. Well, I mean, coming back to, like we said, where everybody is different. I, I have a, a, uh, I have a lot of difficulty, um, doing something without something else on, you know, if I sit down and it, it is just, um, you know, it tends to be very, very boring. I got into, um, um, you know, just, just, uh, doing some, you know, I started taking my dog for a run, um, every day when, during, during quarantine and, and started getting back into, uh, some elements of physical fitness. And, and part of that eventually became, um, uh, riding on a stationary bike. But I, I can't do that unless I'm, you know, I have it set up in our living room so I can play a video game or something like that while I bike because I have to have something else going on. So, you know, you and I uh, approach things from from different perspectives. But again, not that either one of those is wrong. It's just different ways to engage with stuff. But for me, that's very valuable to have something that I can enjoy and uh, make brings me joy, makes me happy while I'm while I'm doing something else. Um, it is also a, a film that I will uh, occasionally just pop on to uh, uh, to watch because I feel like it's been a while since I've seen it. Uh, and uh, my my wife, uh, who is a veterinarian and a whole human being in her own right, um, it works nights because she works at an emergency hospital. And so we will be in contact by phone and text and stuff like that. And a, a, a ongoing for years now joke has been, uh, you know, she'll text me uh, after our kid is in bed and we'll say, Hey, what are you up to tonight? Um, and I will say, Oh, I'm watching this, uh, this new movie. I thought I'd check this out. And I will describe truthfully, but in different ways, the plot of hot fuzz. And I will see how far into it I can get before she realizes that I'm talking about hot fuzz again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I did uh, a similar thing in one of the D and D games for final show films. Uh, playing a bard where it's like I would tell the story of these you know the the classic tales throughout history where it's just I will obfuscate a film plot and see how long it takes people to guess it (laughs) it's like I I remember talking about once about like you know the farmer that has to rise up against an evil king it's like and I call it Stark's War Mm -hmm. yeah no it's just incredible yeah (laughs) Uh, That's great. So uh, before the next question, I think uh, we'll we'll take the time here for everyone's favorite part of the show, a word from the sponsors. Thank you, sponsors. Just marvelous ad reads there, I'll tell you what. I Uh, had no idea that the Australian Army had a casino. You'd be surprised. (laughs) But also don't support the Army or casinos. (laughs) Uh, so question six, following on from the previous question, if you can remember after our glorious ad break, what do you think would have been most to the general public? Scream to. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, and, and, and Elle, I'm sorry, I'm going to interject. It, you, it, it was, I talked over it because I'm a jackass, but it was, uh, what would appeal most to the general public? Yep. Okay. I think just the fact that it is a cleverly written, cleverly shot, enjoyable, funny movie to watch. Uh, if you, if you like good writing in your comedies, it's there. If you like clever cinematography in your films, it's there. If you like great music and soundtracks in your film, it's there. Uh, if you like fantastic performances, it's there. If you like familiar faces, they're there. Um, in addition to the, the list of suspects I mentioned before, oh man, again, the cast in this film is just bonkers. Um, Olivia Coleman is, it has a comparatively small part as, as one of the officers I mean, you know, has gone on to do uh, incredible and had already done incredible things, but you know, has gone on to win an Oscar. Um, Bill, uh, Bill Bailey uh, plays uh, a character um, that, that is hilarious. And again, skip forward 30 seconds if you want to avoid spoilers. Bill Bailey plays two characters, twins, uh, in, a, in a great joke reveal um, uh, that one works the desk uh, during the day and one works the desk during the night. And uh, Nicholas Angel doesn't realize that they're two separate people <laughs> until the end of the film. Um, very, very great uh, staging and, and jokes. Just uh, fantastic acting from from everybody involved. One other fun thing. I'm sorry. This the the the, the trivia about this movie will will. Uh, I could talk for hours just about that, but if I may, one one other thing that oh, I love please. about it while we're talking about the cast, um, uh, Mr. Weaver. Everybody in town is named after sort of traditional professions. Uh, Mr. Weaver, who's introduced early on as a member of the uh, uh, neighborhood watch association or the NWA, which again, uh, fantastic joke in and of itself. Um, you know, NWA fuck the police. Um, but anyway, um, uh, Mr. Weaver is played by Ed Woodward who played, um, Sergeant Howie from the original wicker man. Um, and I, I have, it took, that's, that's one of those things that I didn't realize for ages. Cause you know, time is time and people look different when they're older and it didn't click that that's who that was. Um, but I, long before I knew that I, I always my, my elevator pitch, uh, for, for, uh, hot fuzz was often, um, if I wasn't terribly worried about spoiling some of the things that happened was that it's like the wicker man. If Sergeant Howie was actually a good officer, <laughs> Um, and, and the fact that Ed Woodward is actually in this, uh, it just is the icing on the cake. It's fantastic. I mean, so the, the little trivia things are what makes this show good to me. It's just like, yeah, tell me, here is your open platform. Tell me why you like something. Cause it's like, there's so much negativity out there, even for things that people enjoy. They're like, yeah, I liked it. Here's all the problems. Right. Right. Well, and, and that's like, what I love about your podcast. It's a way to explore, you know, things that you might not have heard about and you're hearing about them from people who love them. And I think exactly like you said, there is more than enough negativity out there. So, yeah. And it's just being able to like, from my position, at least sit back and hear joy. Yeah. Yeah. There is very little of that these days as well. So the more yeah, we can exactly. get out there, the better. Uh, question seven. 
say that I do end up enjoying this because of your excellent recommendation, uh, what would be your number one follow-up? doesn't necessarily have to be a sequel or anything, but where would I turn if I wanted more of the same? Um, I think if if you like this approach to storytelling, if you like this approach to cinematography, uh, other films and, and works by Edgar Wright are, are a great place to look. If you are looking very specifically for another film, um, I think a lot of folks would recommend Shaun of the Dead, uh, which which is a great movie uh, and, and a lot of fun. Um, it is very specifically a... Um, I'm trying to remember, I know you and Jeremy discussed this last episode and Jeremy had a breakdown of horror comedy versus comedy horror. Um, I think it would probably be a horror comedy, more like, um, you know, sort of evil dead, but it there, I mean, there's a lot of gore and I know a lot of people are not, you know, not into gore. That's something that can stop you from, from enjoying a film. So if you want a film that feels, well, I should preface that by saying, there's 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 a fair amount of gore in this film it's 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 in a few very specific scenes but boy howdy uh, are are those scenes pretty gory uh so so know that going in um but Shaun of the dead is 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 even more so you know it's sort of zombie gore and so on so of of the edgar wright films if you want something that feels a lot like this uh i actually really like uh, the World's End, which is the last of the three films in what is called the Cornetto Trilogy, named after the different um, flavors of Cornetto ice cream cones that are um, at least available in the UK and I would assume elsewhere in the world. Um, we have them here. Um, I think the um, the World's End is, is maybe not as popular as the first two, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, but I... <sighs> I don't know that it's as good of a film as Hot Fuzz, so I wouldn't suggest it. But I think it might be my favorite of the three just because it it takes such a heartfelt and at times brutal look at aging and friend groups and things like that, uh, that I, I really like The World's End. Uh, it is a lot of the same actors. It is a lot of the same film crew, writers and, and cinematographers. Um, I would say this. If you like Hot Fuzz and you're willing to check out another film like it, go into World's End knowing as little as possible, uh, because it is a it, it 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 is a ride, and I think you it, it it is a film that is particularly done a disservice by its trailers, which give away too much, in my opinion. Um, I mean, that, if that's you are just looking trailers these days, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I always think back to the uh, the trailer for The Shining, which is just the elevator opening and blood pouring out in slow motion. Hmm. And it's, it's we should have more trailers like that. That's fantastic. Um, but but if you're willing to look outside, you know, a film and something that will take you a little more than two hours, uh, but you still want that Edgar Wright feel, uh, and Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and uh, you know a, a, a lot of the same folks that are that are in this one. Um, they made before all of this, it was on, I believe one of the BBCs. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm an ignorant yank. And I, I, I don't know the difference between the BBCs, but it, 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 it they did a television show series called spaced that it, the episodes are half an hour long. Um, each of them tends to be a um, little bit of a, 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 of a, of a parody or a, or, or a style pastiche uh, in the way that the, 
Cornetto trilogy, each of those films takes after one. Each of the episodes of Spaced uh, goes after a, a different show. Um, but again, just a show with such a great cast, such funny stuff. Uh, it's very sort of Gen X, uh, you know, late 90s a period of its time, but it is still so creative in 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 its approach to humor. I don't know that I've I've ever seen another show exactly like it. And and uh I, I, I wish folks would check it out more because it's again, the acting on it is great, the the, the writing is great, uh the shots I, I mean it looks like it was done uh, you know, on a on a a literal shoestring budget, by which I mean they just paid people in shoestrings, you know, but they but but what mm. they what they did with it is is incredible. Uh it it does have that BBC approach. I once heard um Neil Gaiman describe uh, the BBC as a as a sausage maker, um, uh, which he explained by saying, "No matter what you put in one end, you get Doctor Who out the other." Um, but it 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 is a great show, and I I would assume it's available on some streaming platform somewhere. But it's just called Spaced, uh, and it's about um, um, you know some young folks who are trying to find. Uh, an, an apartment in London after both of them lose their places and uh, the, the wacky hijinks that ensue. But it's very much don't watch it for the for the for the plot line. Watch it for the the individual episode comedies. There's one that's inspired by, you know, the Resident Evil video games where they go to an art show and one of the guys is very tired and he starts seeing people turn into zombies and you get some sort of early Shaun of the Dead things there. Um, there's another episode that's very very heavily. Um, Star Wars based, speaking of Stark's war, uh, and, uh, and other intergalactic struggles. Um, and it also has, uh, an episode that has some of the funniest, but also best gunfight cinematography that is entirely based around finger guns. It is, it is unlike anything else I've ever seen. It has been parodied multiple times. I know, um, Tales from the Borderlands, which was a video game series, had a whole quick time event that was all finger guns. That is almost shot for shot, ripped directly from Spaced. So if you if if you've played from Tales from the Borderlands, you like that finger gun shootout on the office space station or wherever that was, um, you should know that that just came right from Spaced, and you should see the original. So I I did a quick look up uh, in Australia at least. Spaced is available on Stan. There you go. Which is a um, like streaming service thing, but Australian exclusive. I do not know where else in the world uh, you might be able to view it, but it is available probably somewhere. It it looks like it's it's uh, it's on Tubi. It looks like it's uh, on the the Prime version of a uh, uh, megacorp conglomerate named after a, a river in South America. So I'm sure it can be found somewhere. That's in the U.S. at least. I don't know if that if that applies because licensing issues are vary from country to country and are weird. And uh, so if you annoying. have mechanical means of getting around those, you should do it. Yeah, uh, we publicly do not endorse the uh, the act of it, but you know, if you happen to have a, a very dark colored flag, for example. Oh, maybe I, I wasn't even necessarily referring to that. I just feel like oh, if yeah. you if you happen to be paying for access to a streaming service that has something you want to watch that is available for what you are paying in a country where you don't live, there are ways to mm-hmm. 
appear that you are in that country where it is available uh, and get that get that stuff that you're paying for because you're entitled to it. Exactly. Remember, if uh, buying isn't owning, then piracy is not stealing. There you go. It is responsible archival uh, work. <laughs> uh, question eight. Sometimes our engagement with a piece of media comes from a position of relativity. Did you have a character that you related to? And if so, what drew you to them? I, this, this whole segment is a, is, is a fairly significant spoiler. So I, I apologize. Skip, skip ahead again, please. If you haven't seen the film and, and intend to do so, but um, I, would obviously love to say that I associate myself with the with the wonderful, perfect Nicholas Angel, uh, or even the the beloved goofball uh, Danny Butterman. Um, and of the two, I'm probably much more Danny Butterman <laughs> than I am Nick Angel. But honestly, the the character that that I am am drawn to the most, and I think is the most interesting, and relate to the most, even though he ultimately is is the villain of the piece, is Frank Butterman played by Jim Broadbent. He is the police inspector of this town. Uh, and he is, is somebody who has decided to do whatever it takes to make sure that uh, his late wife's memory is, is respected to make sure that his town is, is perfect for uh, all the people in it, or at least all the people in it that agree with him about what makes a perfect town. Uh, and he does some really horrible things to 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 make that come about. And I would like to think that I uh, would not extend to that point where I have a graveyard filled with, uh, you know, living statues and kids and crusty jugglers and so forth. But uh, I, I think that, um, as I mentioned to you before, it's something I've uh, struggled with in the past is is uh, is a work life balance and and being able to being able to let down other people um, for for your own good and for everything else. And so I think he is uh, that that best type of villain in a film, which is one that is uh, uh, at least understandable, even if you're not necessarily rooting for them or, or maybe sympathetic. I think he's a really interesting character. And so I... I um, <laughs> even even though he be as as the film gets more and more madcap, uh, he becomes a little bit more sort of cartoonishly villainous to the point where there's even a a scene in slow motion with sparks falling around him and he growls and they play a literal lion's roar like he's making that sound. Um, uh, it, it, I think Frank Butterman is a is a great character uh, and and really really fantastic to watch Jim Broadbent play that role both when he's being sort of a doddering old police inspector, uh, as well as when he's being a uh, villainous murderer leading a uh, firefight across town. Yeah, the Machiavellian supervillain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Machiavelli, if he cared about very, very petty, stupid slights. <laughs> that oh, yeah. made me to, to get into something very specific from the end of the movie. Uh, that is another one of my all time favorite things about the film. It, when it's revealed that uh, after Nicholas Angel goes to, to the trouble of untangling this, this incredibly intricate weave of politics and land grabs and so on, when it's revealed that the actual motives for the murder were things like 
misspelling people's names in the newspaper or uh, making sure that somebody wasn't designing flower arrangements for the next town over. Uh, just, just a delight every time. Uh, question nine. A lot of these types of interviews rely on the question of what would you bring with you to a desert island in order to get to know a person? But that's not this show. What we ask instead is to picture this scenario. You're on a deserted island with no hope of rescue, but food, water, shelter, and all that have been taken care of so that you won't succumb before your natural time. You've also been provided with a single piece of media and the means to engage with it, and for you it is hot fuzz. How frequently do you utilize it, and how long for, how long would it take for you to be sick of it? Well, I have watched Hot Fuzz, I would say, at least once a month for easily the past 10 years. <laughs> so certainly at least once a month. I think if I was on a desert island and I had nothing else to do, I, I would probably watch it at least once a week, if not, you know, towards the end of my day, uh, attempting to uh, catch fish on, you know, drain rainwater and getting uh, gastrointestinally destroyed by coconuts. Um, that too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, probably after a, after a long day of that. And also I, you know, I, nobody can see me, but I have that, um, uh, you know, that, that very sort of traditional uh, Irish Welsh complexion where I, the back of my arms are, are uh, either, either, you know, bright lobster red when I'm out in the sun and the underside is like fish belly pale. So I would also be horribly sunburned consistently if I were on a desert island. Um, so uh, as I attempted to distract myself from the uh, the incredible pain of my of my skin sloughing off from the burns, uh, I'd probably put it on maybe even every night. Uh, just just, uh, you know, at, at, because it is already such a uh, such a, a familiar comfort that I think uh, there, there would certainly be a point at which I was no longer discovering things about it, no matter how hyperbolic I am about saying, oh, it's something I see something new and every time I watch it, that obviously can't go on forever. But I genuinely don't think that there would come a time where I wouldn't derive at least some comfort from the familiarity and some joy from, uh, from all of the craft and all of the, the passion that was put into it. So how long do you think it would take before you're like quoting the movie back at itself and then just like acting it out yourself? Uh, I very much appreciate, L the implication that I don't already do that. That is very kind of you. <laughs> I, I am nothing if not generous. <laughs> uh, but that is all the questions that I had. So thank you for indulging me. Thank you very much for having me on and letting me talk your ear off about Hot Fuzz. Hopefully that's given people a little bit of a deeper insight into your perspective. So now I do have a follow-up review from last episode's Enemy of the Show and self-proclaimed Sydney Prescott superfan, Jeremy, and his recommendation of Scream 2. Is this something that you're familiar with? I am. Uh, it has been quite a while since I watched it. I, I, in fact, I don't think I've seen it since recently after its release. But I, but I am familiar with it and Fair I've seen enough. it. And I did listen to the, to the, to the episode uh, when, <laughs> when Jeremy was on. And, and, and I will say, uh, even though I was just thanking you for your kindness in, uh, um, in, in, in not implying that I, that I already 
you know, act out hot fuzz on my own. I, I, I feel as enemy of the show, I should also curse you for having me on the episode after you have Jeremy on to talk about <laughs> horror films. Uh, you know, a subject with yeah. which Jeremy speaks so eloquently and uh, about which is is so well informed and can can talk on to such a a, a wonderfully entertaining and informative degree. So, uh, and then it's <laughs> and then it's me. <laughs> so, I mean, like, yeah, it's obviously all the love and respect in the world to like people, but it's like having listened to like people who are like experts like that or like I not that I got into final show films because of it but uh listening to the um the critical recall a uh, critical rewatch that they did uh which was rewatching critical role and doing media analysis of it it's like god these guys are smart ah oh, god damn it I'm not <laughs> you know what I mean well, it's just that oh yeah absolutely yeah. I I, it was. I am probably misquoting it and, and proving proving the accuracy of it. But I think it. I think it may have been Mae West that said, "If you are the smartest person in the room, find another room because you don't you, you don't get anything out of uh, out out of out of being around folks who who don't have anything new to to uh, to teach you or, or or to learn from." And uh, I am, I guess, blessed in that I uh, uh, that is not a situation in which I am familiar. <laughs> I'm not used to being the smartest person in the room. Uh, and, and I think that makes me a much happier person just to um, enjoy learning from people and, and friends. So as much yeah. as I joke about having to follow uh, Jeremy, well, I guess that's not really a joke. I, he, he, <laughs> Jeremy is a tough act to follow, but mm. um, uh, it is, is also really a delight uh, to listen to. So um, it, it, it has made me want to rewatch Scream 2. Uh, and scream uh, after listening to Holly speak about it in the episode before that. So I, I have a, uh, uh, and, and she also did a fantastic job going over that. So I, I guess I have some horror movies uh, queued up for the fall. <laughs> well, I mean, October is coming. Absolutely. But yeah, it's like I've flirted with the idea of doing like a rewatch podcast of like apparently some very obscure shows, it turns out. But it's just like I could not compete in that sort of environment it's like at most i'd be like redoing a wikipedia summary and it's like well why would you listen if that already exists and you know all of that i i have to disagree with you i think especially coming from the perspective of somebody uh who uh says that they don't particularly enjoy engaging with media again i think that would be really interesting you know most people who do rewatches are uh you know uh, people who really enjoy and are avidly looking forward to reengaging with someone with, with something again. And if, if you are coming to it from a position of not really enjoying uh, revisiting it, uh, as, as long as it doesn't become a, you know, a, a form of self-flagellation and you really hate it. But um, you know, if it's, if it's, I think that could be interesting to, 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 um, to to hear the perspective from somebody who doesn't usually revisit things so i gotta disagree with you there i think that would be i i wouldn't i would listen to it if you did it fair enough maybe we should talk off air <laughs> sure <laughs> um but yeah scream two <laughs> <laughs> scream two <laughs> um, so yeah obviously being a, a sequel to something is like you do get more out of it from having seen the original first and then you know, mm-hmm. the logical progression of time. But 
the the way that it uh, worked with the the meta sense of needing to escalate i i found very enjoyable uh, it's like uh, a lot of horror sequels tend to not be good i say that as a yes. fan of slasher franchises yes and even like not even the big names it's like obviously a Friday the 13th or a nightmare on Elm street or something, you know, that's recognizable. Uh, like leprechaun, maybe to a degree, mm-hmm. the Wishmaster, things like that. It's like, sure. maybe these are lesser known for a reason. Right. Right. <laughs> Cause they did not or, do well. Um, uh, or I, I have, I have gone on record repeatedly with my enjoyment of the film jaws. Uh, yeah. Uh, how, how about those sequels? Yeah. What they made uh, where, the, where, the, oh. where the shark eventually becomes psychic and stalks pe- I, I I lost track of what happened in the sequels. They they, they get pretty bonkers. Uh, it's like generational inheritance of revenge, I think. <laughs> you know, but, how sharks do. Yeah, it's Macbeth. <laughs> it, I love it's it. Shark Macbeth. <laughs> Is this a daggerfish I see before me? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's like I there were a couple of cameo appearances that I think some people would have gotten more out of from different perspectives. Like I think um, one of the main characters is in Buffy, and then I'm just like, oh, who was who was that? I, I, you know, again, I haven't seen it since it was around, so I uh, lacked the a lot of the even the very minimal pop culture awareness that I have now. I lacked at the time, so. Uh, which, which, who was that and who were the others? And again, obligatory, fuck Joss Whedon. Oh, yeah. Um, it was, um, what's a, what's his name that played uh, Sydney's girlfriend? Uh, not girlfriend, boyfriend. I'm all over the place. Um, for the bit before, you know, spoilers, gets killed off. And I'm just trying to find the actor's name and everything. I am unfortunately not helpful to you there. It's been a while since I've seen Buffy as well. Uh, Jerry O'Connell. Oh, okay. It's like, yeah, no, it, he's most known apparently for being in Buffy. And I'm like, I have not seen Buffy. The place I know him from is Sliders. Yeah, it's Sliders and Stand By Me. Yeah. He was, he was one of the kids in Stand By Me as well. But it... Ultimately, Scream Two is like the the way that you do a sequel, in my in my opinion. It's like you don't just ride on success, and you're like, oh yeah, no people will come to see it regardless. You actually make something of it, and that's that's rare, unfortunately, as you said before. Yeah, that's. And so may, maybe it's because I'm like antisocial and an introvert. Maybe it's just because I'm not American. I cannot, for the life of me, understand why anyone would want to join a fraternity or sorority. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. ostensibly, uh, I, I... like, ostensibly, you're going to college to learn, like, to study and to further your life. And, you know, going into a lifetime of debt, don't worry about it. But right. why is it all drinking and partying and, you know, hooking up with people? It's like, you are there to learn and spending a lot of money to do this. Yeah. Why are you doing this? 
Yeah. I, I know um, I went to college straight out of high school. Like I think a majority of, 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 of college goers in America uh, do. And uh, I know the folks that were there who were not straight out of, of, of high school, I think got a heck of a lot more out of the experience because they were there and had that ha had that perspective of exactly as you say, hey, uh, we kind of know what we should be focusing on. And I, I am uh, not a proponent of Greek life. I wasn't in a, uh, in a fraternity, but um, yeah, I, 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 it's that, it's that old saw of, of, of youth and the opportunities thereof being wasted on the young. Yeah. It's like, uh, here, the drinking age is 18. So mm -hmm. on everyone, basically everyone's 18th birthday party, they get absolutely plastered. It's like, why yeah. would you do that to yourself? Yeah. I, I don't get I, it. Yeah. Nor I, I remember my, my, my 21st week where I was at college and went out with a bunch of good friends and, uh, but I was the only one <laughs> who had a car and was able to drive. So uh, I was the designated driver on my 21st birthday uh, <laughs> because I, I was not particularly interested in, in starting things off, getting blitzed. But I'm, I'm also, you know, we talked about everybody's little weirdsy. Uh, I am a, uh, I'm a person who doesn't particularly enjoy uh, feeling anything more than even very slightly tipsy. I, I've never enjoyed being mm being drunk or, or having my, my mental chemistry altered in, in a significant way. Um, which and if anybody watches final show films may seem weird. Cause I played a drunk dwarf for several years, but, um, <laughs> yeah. characters but, are not actors. What's that? Characters are not their actors. Yes. Yes. Very true. But, uh, you know, like we said before, uh, everybody approaches things in a different way and it doesn't make it wrong. It just means that it might be harder for us to, to understand certain things. So I, I have a bit of a weird or interesting story about uh, the 18th party and everything, but I can't remember if I've told it on the podcast. Yeah, do it again. Uh, yeah. Just in so, case. Uh, about a week before my 18th birthday, there was another kid in school who was having theirs so obviously, you know, everyone's getting on the piss because you do, apparently. And yeah, no, I was given that sort of peer pressure to have a drink. I'm like, no, mine is like in a week and my dad would kill me because he's that very traditional, I will take you out for your first drink type of like father from back in the day. So I didn't. Uh, the week later when I did have my like 18th birthday, my dad took me out for my first drink. And I had an allergic reaction and nearly died. Oh, no. Luckily, because he was first aid trained, you know, that got sorted out. And, you know, it's a reason I'm still here today. Yeah, but absolutely. Had I given in to that peer pressure. Yeah, you would have been in a place with nobody else. Yeah. Absolute cactus. Mm. But yeah, it's always that, that sort of like, why would you, you know, go against the rules, even if that didn't happen? Just that sort of sense of, well, no, that's not right. Why are you doing things that aren't the correct way to do things? I don't know. It's a weird sort of interesting thing. But yeah, I'm allergic to alcohol, so I just don't drink because otherwise I tend to die. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that tends to be a good way to approach things that, that will actively kill you. <laughs> so, scream two. <laughs> scream two. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think I'd give it a four out of five. 
it, it it's a good movie. It's made me want to keep watching the the franchise, and if it keeps building in the way that it has, not like with exponential, just more, just the way that it has played with being a sequel. Mm-hmm. I I know is a bit of a weird meta commentary, but that's kind of what they do from what I've been told and what I've been seeing. Right. Well, I, I, again, if, if, if my recollection of, of the films and um, my much more recent recollection of listening to Holly and Jeremy speak about it, I, I, that is kind of where that franchise lives in, in both in, in the storytelling on the ground level and in terms of what you're seeing, but also on a meta level, um, mm. which uh, is similar to, to Hot Fuzz in that way where it, it, it tells its own story, but it also is telling a story about the story and commenting on the type of story that it is telling. Exactly. It's like you would get you would get enjoyment out of just watching it straight, but you get more out of it if you have that sort of uh, third-person camera meta knowledge perspective as well. Yeah. It's like with Hot Fuzz, it's like you get more out of it by knowing that it is referencing these tropes and being a parody in these certain ways and whatnot. So now before we wrap up this, the final ever episode of check this out for this recording session and 26th time I've made that joke. uh, Could you tell (laughs) the audience where they might find you online? And if you have anything to advertise. Sure. Um, I am uh, online with final show films. Uh, I am currently in the, uh, Stardust campaign, which uh, airs on, on Thursday nights. Uh, you can find me on uh, some social media platforms, uh, including the one that uh, used to be a bird, um, as at the underscore doc underscore web, W E B B. Nothing really to, to advertise other than, um, I guess, final show films and check this out, uh, both great ways to spend your time and engage with, with media and neat folks. Yeah. And on that note, I've been L. And I've been Craig. And this has been Check This Out, a podcast of media positivity. And remember, you can lead a horse to water, you can leave your horse behind, because your horse don't drink, and if it don't drink, then it's no horse of mine. <laughs>